ready for Scott to come in. Thanks, Bruce. Uh, so the Bible reading tonight is Colossians uh, verse uh, chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start at verse 5 and go through to verse 14. So if you want to grab your Bibles wherever you are, um, I'm going to read uh, and you can listen on. So starting, uh, so Colossians 3, starting at verse 5. Uh, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave, forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And uh, good afternoon, everyone. My name is also Scott, uh, one of the ministers here. Great to be with you. And um, keep your Bibles open at Colossians 3 if you can. And as you do that, I'm going to pray and we'll get underway. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word to us on this super topic, uh, important topic of forgiveness and help us to be doers of your word and not just hearers for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, I don't think I was bullied uh, very much as a kid, although I do remember getting bullied by a bigger boy in the change rooms at our school swimming lessons. And it must have been that same bigger boy who had a go at me when I walked home from school one afternoon to my best friend's house. Now, I, I don't remember any of the details of the incident, but I remember him calling like on the landline telephone my friend's house, speaking to my friend's mum, and then asking to speak to me to apologise and it only occurred to me quite recently how unlikely all that was. So unlikely, it just cannot have come from the bigger kid himself. There's no way a bully would have had the self-awareness to have known that he'd been a bully, then also to have the courage to call to speak to a grown-up and then to speak to a kid to apologise. So I think my best friend's mum and maybe the bully's mum conspired to make that happen. Just too unlikely on reflection but that is one of the few times I can remember apology and forgiveness in my whole life outside my own marriage. And it occurred to me how strange it is, especially for people of the Christian faith whose centerpiece is forgiveness by God, how strange it is, how rare it is to experience forgiveness from others. You would think that we would offer it, we would extend it, we would ask for it from one another way more often is all that I'm saying. I mean, you remember the line in the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, a prayer that many of us would say weekly, if not daily, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. I mean, it is just so central to our belief as Christians. I'm a bit surprised when I think about it, 
how rare it is in our experience. And perhaps you are too. Well, that's what we're thinking about today uh, as we round out our One Another series. And really the theme verse for the day is Colossians 3 verse 13. So I hope you have that open in front of you. Uh, It's worth having it open in front of you. Colossians 3 verse 13. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And because we're talking about forgive one another, we won't be thinking about God's forgiveness as much as what it means to forgive each other. So what is forgiveness exactly? And are there any limitations to forgiveness? And how might we go about it helpfully? And what's at stake if we don't forgive one another? Well, there's lots to think about there. And some of it might be quite painful, to be honest. But none of it is unimportant. And so firstly for tonight, what is forgiveness if we were to define it or boil it down to its irreducible minimum? Uh, Some would say it means to stop feeling angry or resentful towards someone for an offence they might have committed against you. Others say, well, it's less about feelings and it's more about the cancellation of a debt. It's something more decisive, action-oriented. And I wonder if it's a combination of both of those ideas. Tim Keller puts it like this, Forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from someone who harmed you. Though you've been wronged, or at least you think you have, you voluntarily hand over your right to seek revenge, receive repayment, or in some way get payback, get even, or square the ledger. And that actually means you voluntarily Take that loss upon yourself. You choose not to get even, which must mean in some sense that you choose to lose. I mean, forgiveness can sound noble, but basically you're deciding to suffer a loss. That might be a loss of money unrecovered. Uh, it might be a loss of reputation, lost opportunity. It might be uh, a hurt body, a damaged relationship, um, disturbed happiness or peace. Colossians 3 verse 13 talks about forgiving grievances. So it might have been something that caused you grief. We're talking about loss, grief, that kind of thing. And normally when humans experience loss, grief, damage or hurt, we want payback, don't we? We want revenge or at the very least we want to maintain our right to hold a grudge against the person who harmed us. We want to hate them in our hearts. We want something bad to happen to them so they know what it feels like. But when we forgive one another, we are saying, and I really think it's best said aloud, I relinquish my right to all that. I refuse to hurt the person who hurt me. I will not inflict pain upon them. I do not seek revenge. I will not punish them aggressively or passive aggressively. I won't slander them before others. Uh, You'll see there in Colossians 3 verse 8, it, it describes slander as something that belonged to our old ways. Our earthly nature, something we must rid ourselves of as we put on the new self, which is being renewed in the image of God. And when we forgive one another, not only do we uh, refuse to hurt them directly with revenge or indirectly with uh, sneaky slander or gossip and so on, we even refuse to harbour ill will against them in our hearts. I remember when I was uh, a youth minister some years ago now, I found myself replaying conflicts and conversations that I'd had with parents in my head as I mowed the lawn. 
It was very strange. Up and down went the mower and over and over went the mind. And it meant that I kept the conflict fresh and it meant I could remain actively hostile towards them. And what it really meant is that I hadn't forgiven them. Well, that's the nature of forgiveness. It costs and it hurts. And that's why in the Old Testament when forgiveness is received from God, it's, it's regarded with awe and wonder because it's amazing. And I wonder if maybe that's also why it's less common, even in our circles, than we might naturally guess. Well, we need to think about how we might go about forgiving one another. But before we do that, I think we need to pause to consider what forgiveness is not. I mean, we've just seen what forgiveness is, but what is it not? Or in other words, uh, what limitations are there to forgiveness in the way we've just described, if any? Well, I think there are some. Uh, firstly, I think you have to say forgiveness does not destroy the memory of our pain or the pain inflicted, uh, nor does it remove the emotions that attach to that memory. When you've been wronged, you can release your right to payback, you can avoid slandering the other person's reputation, even in subtle ways. You can refuse to harbour ill will against them in your heart, uh, even replacing it with prayers for their good. But it still does not mean that you will be able to forget what happened. And it does not mean that what happened will not still cause you some pain. Forgive and forget is largely aspirational, I think. In other words, it's what we would love to have happen, but it doesn't always happen. Forgiveness does not always mean forgetfulness. The memory and that attendant pain will likely remain, though in God's mercy they often recede over time. Secondly, forgiveness does not remove the consequences of our sin. We might be forgiven or extend forgiveness, but we still have to live with the results of our wrongdoing. I mean, you can understand that with a very simple example. If I drink too much and I get caught drink driving, I will lose my driver's license and probably my job, which also means my home and my son's schooling. So that's pretty sobering, isn't it? Let's say that happens and I confess my sin to Carol and my wife and I ask her for forgiveness and she gives it to me as she should. But my sin has still caused a loss of license. A lost job, a lost livelihood, a lost home and lost schooling. So notwithstanding my forgiveness, I have to live with the consequences of my sin and so do many others. And that's true of any forgiveness. As the forgiven offender, I still have to live with the results of my sin and usually so do many others. Forgiveness does not erase that reality. Well, thirdly, forgiveness does not rebuild trust. It opens the, the door to the possibility that trust can be restored, but it does not in itself rebuild trust. I mean, husbands who flirt, wives who flirt with those who are not their spouses shouldn't expect that when they ask for forgiveness, they can also insist on being trusted again immediately. You don't have that right. You've lost that right. You have to earn or re-earn that right by being trustworthy. And maybe that's by being a completely open book when it comes to your schedule or your movements or your technology. You know, you have Find My Friends installed on your phone and your spouse's phone so that your spouse can always see where you are. Maybe that's it. Children who have deceived their parents shouldn't assume that they're trusted right away upon receiving their parents' forgiveness. And to rebuild that trust, maybe they need to give their parents 
the passcode on their phones so that at any time their parents can open it up, see what they've been up to, where they've been, or whatever it is. Forgiveness doesn't rebuild trust. The offender rebuilds trust over time by being trustworthy. Fourthly, forgiveness does not always result in reconciliation. Sometimes it does, but it doesn't always result in reconciliation. Uh, in fact, you'd have to say that rarely does a relationship go, relationship go back to exactly where it was before the offence was committed, especially if we're talking about a serious matter. You might have relinquished your right to revenge, but it's just too painful to restore that friendship, even though you hope for and pray for the best for that other person. It just doesn't always equal reconciliation. And then fifthly and lastly, Forgiveness may not be fitting where repentance is not offered. It may be the case that you're not required to forgive where the other party refuses to apologise. Now, I suggest this very tentatively for several reasons, the first of which is I could be wrong. (laughs) It's possible. But I think it could be right because in most of the biblical examples, forgiveness follows repentance, doesn't it? I mean, think of our theme verse today, Colossians 3 verse 13. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And we know that God freely forgives only those who repent, confessing and turning from their sins towards him in faith. Right? Forgiveness is rooted in God's gracious nature, but he doesn't hand it out indiscriminately. Humans receive it when they are penitent, and they won't receive God's forgiveness if they are willfully defiant. Or, or you might think of the parable of the unmerciful servant, Remember, that's Jesus' answer to the question, uh, how often shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? And you'll remember in that parable the servant who owed the king a large sum and the servant who owed his fellow servant a lesser sum both begged for mercy and patience. They, They repented. And so you think if God forgives only those who repent, it seems odd that he would ask us to do something that he himself won't do. But of course, I could be wrong. I mean, even in our theme verse, you'll have noticed, it doesn't say anything about repentance or apology, does it? Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. I mean, the emphasis here is just on forgiveness. And maybe when it says forgive as the Lord forgave you, it's not talking about that process where a person repents before receiving God's forgiveness. Perhaps the emphasis is just on the forgiveness itself. You have experienced God's greater forgiveness. It's a wonderful gift based on the obedient life and the sacrificial death of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't deserve it and you can't earn it, but you've received God's greater forgiveness. Now, please extend your lesser forgiveness. I mean, I still think on balance that the Scriptures don't require us to forgive those who willfully refuse to apologise or reconcile when lovingly confronted with their offence. But can I say, that doesn't permit us to hate our brother or sister in our hearts. It may be that we somehow release our pain, our grief, our hurt, our desire for revenge and to get even to God. And we entrust to God's perfect wisdom and justice that person we say to God I would love to get even with that person actually I would love to forgive that person 
but they do not accept any wrongdoing. So I am releasing them from my vengeance and I'm entrusting them to your justice. And I'm releasing the hurt and the hatred in my heart for I know it will poison my spirit. Would you please turn me from a bitter believer into a better believer through this? I mean, if Jesus says we are to bless those who persecute us and to pray for our enemies, at the very least we must release the hurt and the hate caused by a brother or sister who does not repent. And we must seek their good instead in a way that may not actually be that different from just forgiving them. Well, there you go. Some limitations to forgiveness, just in case it all sounded a bit like a Disney movie in its description. It's costly. Uh, It's painful. And it has its limitations. Well, how might we go about it? What is a good process and some helpful pointers And look, I think I'm talking here to both offenders and those who've been offended, uh, where there is some acknowledgement that something's gone wrong. Uh, You can't deal with all scenarios, can't deal with the complexity of where you receive forgiveness, but you think, man, seriously, honestly, soberly, I don't think I've done anything wrong. Uh, Or where you can't forgive yourself for deep, deep reasons, even when you've received forgiveness from God or others. Let's just talk about garden variety. Ground level, the most common form of offence and forgiveness. And I think firstly you want to say, as either offended or offender, test the offence against Scripture, bring the offence before God. Do you know that some things, some conflicts, some grievances, they just don't need to be resolved. They need to be borne by one another. That's what our verse says. Bear with one another and forgive one another. I mean, I was intrigued last week. I'm sure you were as well when Bruce was talking about marriage, and he quoted that Jewish marriage expert who discovered that about 70% of conflicts aren't resolved by married couples. Each spouse helpfully navigates around them. Now, I think that's bearing with one another. That's letting your bugbears be bugbears rather than barriers. And sometimes we just need to absorb that rather sharp reply or accept that slightly cutting critique rather than kind of escalate it to DEFCON 5 immediately. Uh, Sometimes we just need to develop a thicker skin and we need to move on. And as the offended person, you might be able to resolve a conflict before it even becomes a conflict by taking it to God first and then bearing it yourself. But as the offender you might actually decide that you have offended in such a way that it really does warrant an apology. Well, in that case, firstly, confess it to God and then confess it to the person you have offended. And you should try to give as full an apology as possible with as few kind of caveats and qualifications as possible. So Dr. Gary Chapman, he's the five love languages guy. He also reckons there are conveniently five languages of apology and that people only hear your apology if you express it in their apology language. Now, um, somewhere towards the top of the chat section, I included a questionnaire that will help you discover your apology language. Now, you might like those sort of questionnaires, you know, discover what kind of serial killer you are. Oh, look, I'm a spontaneous kind, whatever it is. But briefly, here are the five apology languages. First one is expressing regret, where you typically say the words, I am sorry for whatever it is. 
accepting responsibility. Uh, I made a mistake when I did that or when I didn't do that. Making restitution. Uh, how can I make this right? What if I did this? Would that help? Uh, genuinely repenting, by which Chapman means um, you undertake to do something so that you won't make the same mistake next time. Do you know, I think I've really learned from this. Next time I will try to. Uh, and fifthly, requesting forgiveness, in which you have to actually say the words, can you forgive me? Would you please accept my apology? Now here's the thing, as it seems to me. Unless the person you've offended has done the profile themselves and supplied the answers to you, you won't know their apology language. And you'll likely have to offer as full an apology as you can that includes most or all of these. Well, Colossians 3 verse 12 bids us to clothe ourselves with humility amongst other things. And I reckon you will experience that if you offer such an apology. So, as far as the steps go, firstly, take it to God via scripture and prayer. If a legitimate offence has been committed, uh, you offer a full apology. And then thirdly, if you receive a, a full apology, you accept it and you offer forgiveness. You express outwardly, verbally, that you have forgiven them. And you resolve inwardly not to harbour hatred or a grudge. That's how you bear with one another and forgive one another, forgiving as the Lord forgave us. Well, a few other practical pointers with forgiveness before we finish by thinking, what's at stake if we don't forgive? First thing I would say is just sort it out. Sort it out soon. If you've been convicted of something, even as we've been talking about it today, sort it out. If it's with your spouse, your children, your parents, your friends, a fellow Christian person, sort it out today or this week. Just do it. Secondly, it is probably safe to assume that you have contributed something to a conflict, a fallout or a broken relationship. This is not always the case. And sometimes you may have contributed only 2% to the problem. But let's start by assuming that it's possible you might have done something unhelpful. And then own that and apologise for that, even if it's only 2%. Thirdly, assume that a harsh critic might have something to teach you. You think if God in the Old Testament can speak through an ass, he can certainly speak through an unlikable person to you. So let your critic be a coach if you can. Fourthly, assume, uh, this, is, this is valuable I reckon, assume that you will be defensive whenever somebody confronts you, even if it's lovingly done. Natural response will be to go into defense mode. So try to listen without interruption and aim to be slow to rationalize or justify yourself. Fifthly, assume you don't know everything. You may not have read the situation right. Uh, you may not know everything that was going on for the other person. Not being God and knowing everything, you, you probably don't accurately know what that other person really deserves either. And then lastly, you might need to bring somebody else in, but I would say do that as a last resort, not a first resort when you don't see eye to eye with someone. And that, that person that you bring in you know, could be somebody who's respected by both sides. Eventually, really as a last resort, it, it might be a church leader. But I would say you want to beware of it also escalating into a tribal conflict where it's not just he said, she said, but now it's he and all his mates say and she and all her mates say. 
Remember, the goal is actually forgiveness, if not restoration, rather than winning. And it's not always helped by introducing others into the mix, especially if they've only heard your version of events. And that whole area just requires great wisdom and care and love. And friends, this brings us to the final brief point uh, for this evening. What's at stake if we don't forgive one another? Surely our own relationships and our communal life together. Don't we want to be a community who not just gathers together and spurs one another on, as Scotty was saying, but a community of people who don't give up on one another, who champion the second chances that we extend to one another? Surely our own individual spirits are jeopardised if we don't forgive when asked, or we don't ask for forgiveness when we know we've wronged others, or even when we allow bitterness and hard-heartedness to take root. Isn't there something askew with the forgiveness we've received from God if we cannot forgive others? There's something not right there. Is it not the case that a lack of forgiveness towards others indicates a lack of repentance in our own hearts towards God? Well, that's a worry, because we know that we must repent in order to be forgiven by God ourselves. Is it not the case that we have been forgiven much by God, Therefore, we have both a great example and a wonderful empowerment to forgive others. I know earlier when we were talking about what forgiveness means, we talked about it as suffering loss. But you know, when it's all tallied up, we do not come out as losers when we forgive one another. And lastly, not only does forgiveness or a lack thereof give a window into our own hearts, it gives a watching world a window into the gospel and the faith that we profess before others. That at the heart of what we believe is a God who would voluntarily suffer loss for the sake of human beings who offended him greatly, but whom he nevertheless loved so much. Bear with one another and forgive each other. Forgive as the Lord forgave you.